Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From building a well-balanced college list and developing a payment strategy to creating a high school plan and more. Each episode will help guide your family through various steps of the process. Enjoy the show. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Very excited that you're here. Um, Just a quick note up front, please like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Um, We would love to let you know every time we have a new uh, show, which is every week. Um, This is actually my final podcast of 2023 as a host. I'll be back, of course, in 2024, but um, we are, as always, recording this in advance, about a week in advance. And so many students right now are hearing from their early decision and early action schools. So congrats to everyone who heard good news Good luck to everyone who maybe didn't get the news they were hoping for, um, but we'll wait until 2024 to find out. Um, You are not alone. Good luck to you. Hopefully you got a lot of stuff done in advance so you don't have to spend your holiday break working on college essays. Um, Today's show is going to be a little bit different in that the second two segments we're going to focus exclusively on one topic, and that is kind of what we talk about when we talk about distinguishing excellence. So for all those literary aficionados out there, you might recognize that we're making a play on a very famous title of a short story um, there. But we're going to be talking a little bit more about that and distinguishing excellence impact on college admissions. Um, But before we do that, I'm very excited because we have a special guest with us today, Megan Thompson, who is a student recruitment officer at the University of Victoria in Canada. Um, Really excited to have her here today. Hi, Megan. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. You know, we talk a lot about college admissions and primarily we focus on colleges here in the United States um, because that's what we know really well and because most of our families who are tuning in are interested in going to college in the U.S. However, um, we do know that more and more students are looking north of the border um, and considering that as an option. And certainly there have always been students going in that direction. And we have listeners from all over the world who consider schools in Canada. So we're excited. Excited to talk not only just about the University of Victoria, but also about kind of thinking about going to college in Canada in general. Um, and I guess why don't we start with uh, tell us a little bit about the University University of Victoria and why students might want to take a look at the institution you represent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first, I'll just mention I have been a student recruitment officer for about six years, but I also uh, studied at UVic. I graduated with my degree in history and writing, and I met some of my best friends here and did some really phenomenal things on campus. So all of these things that I share are authentic experiences to me as well. Um, a couple of things that really sold me about UVic. Uh, first, obviously, the, the location. Um, the university campus is unlike any other. We've got about 200 acres of green space. So think like old growth rainforest and walking trails rather than skyscrapers and concrete, lots of beaches. The visual behind me on screen is Cadborough Bay Beach, just a 10 minute walk down the hill. Uh, And we're a really ideally sized campus. So in terms of student population, we've got about 18,000 undergraduate students, about 22,000 students total, including grad students. Um, So I like to call us the Goldilocks 
of universities. Not too big, not too small, just the right size. You get all the benefits of a big university like innovation and uh, opportunities, but our goal is to make these experiences accessible to you. At a lot of larger universities, it can be difficult to get involved because you're competing with, you know, double or triple the number of students. Um, and I know sometimes Americans might think that 18,000 sounds like a big number, um, but Ubic is kind of special in that we are a destination school. So about 78% uh, of our students are not local to Victoria. So that means that you won't be alone in relocating and maybe leaving the United States and meeting people from all over Canada and all over the world. Everybody's in that same position looking to make new friends and start a new chapter. Right. And they're not commuting. So they're not coming in and leaving every night or leaving every weekend kind of thing. They're yeah. there to stay. And the other thing that um, struck me when you were talking about the size of the institution is that there clearly is a big focus on undergrads because that makes up the majority of your student body, which is also really cool for anyone thinking about what their undergraduate experience is going to look like. Definitely. I would exactly. guess. Yeah. And, and in so terms of location, Beth, sorry, I haven't no, quite mentioned okay. it. For folks that aren't familiar with Canadian geography, uh, Victoria uh, is the city that we're located in. So we're on the Pacific Northwest. It's about a 30 minute flight from Seattle to Victoria oh, cool. um, and a good sized city. About 423,000 people live here. Uh, and we're currently ranked the best small city in the whole world. So wow, a lot that's pretty work. big. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Lots of nature. So we're kind of known for, you know, the proximity to the outdoors and that kind of lifestyle, but still with all the advantages of city life. Got it. Okay. I mean, it sounds great. And actually, I think it sounds like based on the location that probably ties in to one of the big reasons that you guys are really focused on kind of the environment. And um, I know we hear a lot about when you, if you look into University of Victoria, you'll hear a lot about climate action. So what can you tell us about that part of the institution? Absolutely. UVic is actually number three in the whole world for climate action, number one in Canada. So we are incredibly committed to the environment and sustainability and taking action to protect our natural world. Of course, this is inspired by our phenomenal location. Uh, you'll see it reflected in research and programs and campus operations, also in experiential learning opportunities. So our goal is to educate and inspire the next generation of future leaders in climate and sustainability. Uh, we have a really cool field school uh, here uh, in, the, in the local area that's focused on ethnoecology, where students work alongside Indigenous communities to research the land uh, and the ocean. They're analyzing soil and identifying plants and using field mapping technologies. A lot of these hands-on courses are, are rooted in the land and how we can make a difference in the world. Yep. Very cool. Um, and, you know, obviously you don't need to be focused on the environment to be a student there, but if that is something that's really important to you, you'll clearly find a real home at the University of Victoria on that. Definitely. And so what are, what are some of the more popular things that students study there? 
we are considered a comprehensive university. So that means that we are known for our variety of programming. So about a hundred different major and minor options. Um, of course, lots of climate related programs like marine biology and environmental studies, but also engineering and business and fine arts and liberal arts. Like I said, I was a history major um, and I minored in writing and I really appreciated that variety of academic options. I was completely undecided when I applied to university and it allowed me to take a wide number of courses in my first year to really figure it out and explore different options. Got it. So basically, when we think about the University of Victoria, it's a university like any other here in the States. And generally speaking, you probably will be able to study what you want to study and find other students studying the same things um, there. So that's cool. I mean, again, size of the institution would seem to indicate it's not going to be particularly narrow when you have 18,000 undergrads. So exactly, that's great. Um, you also have a co-op program. And, and what I'm seeing more and more of is definitely an interest here in the States in co-op programs. Programs. There aren't that many of them necessarily. You know, there Northeastern has one quite famously. Drexel has one. You know, Northeastern has always been known for their co-op program. But it's great to have other options. You know, these are schools. Not everyone wants to go to school in the middle of Boston. Not everyone can go to school in the middle of Boston. So uh, alternatives to that are really great. So what can you tell us about the co-op program at uh, UVic? Yeah, uh, co-op definitely tends to be more commonly found in Canada than in the United States. Um, and UVic has one of the largest and most well-established programs in the whole country. So we're kind of co-op experts. Um, for people that aren't super familiar, basically they can incorporate full-time paid work experiences into their studies and jobs that are related to their careers or their interests. Um, and they're alternating between like regular study terms and full-time work terms. I think what makes UVic's co-op program so great um, is it's designed to be accessible to our students. It's a great example of one of those major benefits of that Goldilocks-sized university. Right. Um, you have access to a world-renowned program with employer partnerships all over the world, but you're not having to compete to get into the co-op program like you do at a lot of other universities in Canada. As long as you meet the minimum grade requirements um, and it's available in your program, you have that option and are highly encouraged to gain that hands-on work experience. Just from my personal experience, co-op was the best decision I think I could have made as a university student. It totally transformed my career trajectory, helped me figure out what I like to do for work, what I don't love to do for work. And then at the same time, I was building my resume and networking and earning a salary. Uh, the average student makes about $50,000 if they do the full co-op program. Wow. That's a lot of money. Um, I didn't realize that. That's quite a lot of money. Uh, well, how long, so do all students do co-op and then how long does that kind of extend your time in university? So with UVic, co-op varies by program. So some of our programs have the co-op fully incorporated into the degree. So things like business and engineering, every student does co-op, it's fully incorporated. Uh, 
for business, it's still a four-year degree. For engineering, it's a five-year degree. It depends how many work terms are required. Usually, it's somewhere between three and four. For most other faculties and programs, it's optional. So for me as a history student, it was up to me how many and if I wanted to do co-op. Um, I chose to do three. So it took me about four and a half years to graduate. A lot of the time you're working in the summer anyway. So it makes sense to do these kinds of you know jobs that are actually beneficial to your career go growth and related to what you like to do. Uh, and actually because of these experiences, Fun fact about UVic, we're the number one comprehensive university in Canada for preparing career-ready graduates. So it really is our goal to make you employable. And I think co-op is the best way to do that, even if you do one or two work terms and you don't want to extend your degree. Got it. Okay. So that's great. I mean, really helpful and interesting to know. All right. So we've covered University of Victoria. Let's dig a little bit into the decision to go to Canada. So kind of, I guess, why Canada? And if you could highlight from your perspective, differences that you see between Canadian and American universities. Well, to start off, Canada is number three in the whole world for quality of life. So that's because of factors like healthcare, safety, political stability, uh, inclusivity, and our education system. We have one of the best education systems in the whole world. So Americans can come and study in Canada and get a degree here and easily bring it back to the US. You don't have to worry about like how it will be recognized. Um, it's gonna be just as good or even better than a degree that you can get at home potentially. Mm -hmm. um, and another factor is that affordability. So education can be incredibly expensive in the United States and Americans have the benefit of the exchange rate. So the US dollar is worth about 35% more than the Canadian dollar right now. Mm -hmm. um, at any given time, it's usually somewhere between 25 and 40% savings. So you're saving on housing and food and textbooks. And of course, your tuition. Our tuition rates are quite affordable, even for an international student. The actual cost does vary a little bit by program, but it's around 30,000 Canadian dollars per year for mm -hmm. an international student with tuition fees. So that's about 20,000 US dollars with wow. the exchange rate. So yes. similar to what you would pay at home or even less potentially. Yeah. I mean, in fact, for many, many schools, quite a bit less than you would. So that's exciting. Yeah. And there's funding opportunities. We offer automatic grades-based entrance scholarships to international students. For this fall, uh, 2024, we're expecting the value to be about $10,000 Canadian for a high school senior that has a GPA of about 3.85 or higher. Uh, you can bring FAFSA loans with you to Canada. Uh, you can bring like private loans, 529 savings plans, and then of course, co-op and part-time work and all of these things come into play to help. Right. Make it considerably less expensive for depending on the schools that you're considering. So Definitely. yeah, that's wonderful. Um, any, any, well, sorry, I don't want you to cut you off. Are there oh, other things that you wanted to highlight? I was just going to say some differences. So we yeah. kind of, that was the second point here. So, you know, the systems are quite similar between Canada and the U S one main difference uh, might be the size of universities. So, mm -hmm. You know, UVic being considered a medium-sized university with 18,000 undergrads in the U.S., that might be considered a large university. Um, we don't have a lot of, like, really small schools like you do in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, 
probably due to the fact that Canada's education system is primarily public. So we don't have a lot of private schools. So our schools are are large and well-funded by our provincial and federal governments. Um, most, you know, secondary education is very well regulated and highly regarded at that international level. So you tend to see less of those, you know, smaller private universities. Right, right. So if you're considering public universities or probably larger universities, I would agree with you that 18,000 is kind of on the cusp of being more of a smaller, large institution here than a medium-sized institution. When we talk medium, it does feel like generally people are thinking more along the like five to six to that, maybe 10,000 undergrads. So when you start getting more than that, it feels a bit bigger. But you know, again, with 18,000 undergrads, you're not talking about, and then you have a you know, a couple thousand more grad students, it's still not a huge space, but there will be really large institutions, right? Like University of Toronto is a really yeah. big school, schools like that. Yeah. They have like 97,000 students. That's a lot. Of Toronto. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's a lot. That's a lot. Any other differences that you would pinpoint? Yeah, I think uh, the flexibility of programming is something I like to highlight at many Canadian universities. You won't see that gen ed year like at American schools, mm -hmm. at UVic, we really strive for the flexibility. So you can apply as undecided and take 10 different classes of your choosing in your first year from 10 different areas of study. You're not having to take math if you don't want to take math. Yeah. Um, or you can apply directly to a specific major like music or kinesiology or engineering um, and dive right into those requirements that you have to meet for a specific program. Um, the application process and the admission requirements can also look a little bit different in Canada. Most universities in Canada are not on the Common App uh, and we don't have our own countrywide application. So our post-secondary system is structured provincially. So students applying to universities on the West Coast in British Columbia use one provincial system called Education Planner BC. Got it. Okay. And is it, you know, one thing that we definitely see, although it seems to be shifting just a little bit, is that things like essays and lists of extracurricular activities not really required um, at many, if not most, Canadian institutions. Um, are you seeing similar things? I am starting to see you, you apply for a business program and then you do have to write an essay or do an interview of sub, some type, things like that. But what's your take on that piece? I would say Canadian universities tend to rely a lot more on grades in admissions um, as opposed to extracurriculars and references and admissions essays. Uh, we focus a lot on the transcript. At UVic, it tends to be department specific. So like you said, business requires like a resume and a personal statement and visual arts wants to see a portfolio of your work. But a lot of programs like science and engineering and um, humanities are just looking at your transcript. It's really just grades based admission evaluating. Right, right. So it's a little bit more straightforward. So for people who don't love that element of the U.S. system, it is kind of nice. It's if you, you know, you do what you do in school, you send in your transcript, and they're going to make a call based on that. Um, there's good and bad to that, right? And for some people, I think it's a really great, it's a really great option. So, um, any final thoughts as we kind of wrap this up? And, and you know, in particular, I'd be curious if you had any advice for international students planning to come to Canada or anything like that. Um, 
I will say to research and apply early, um, we have like an early application window for U.S. applicants at UVic. So in the fall of your senior year is a good time to get everything in. Um, you do have to have a study permit to come to Canada as an international student. So that is one other difference to keep in mind and getting the ball rolling earlier will help leave you enough time to work through the immigration pieces and the application itself. Um, and we have a whole team of people at all of these universities in Canada. I am the main point of contact for all students from the United States. So I'm really happy to answer questions and meet with students. We do like Zoom meetings. If you ever wanted to learn more about studying in Canada and what that could look like, we're super happy to help. Awesome. Megan, thank you so much. Um, and so to our listeners, I hope you guys will check out the University of Victoria. Megan Thompson is your is your person if you're applying from the U.S. Um, I really appreciate it, Megan. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right. We're going to take a short break. And when we get back, we're going to be talking about distinguishing excellence. So don't go away. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. For 25 years, families have trusted Bright Horizons College Coach to guide them through the college admissions process. With nearly all of our students getting into one of their top choice schools, it's no wonder why. Our experience is unmatched. As former admissions officers at top colleges and universities, we've read the essays, reviewed the applications, and made the admissions decisions. We know firsthand what colleges are looking for. Ready to meet our team? Visit getintocollege.com slash experts to learn more. Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Very excited for our next two segments. Um, you know, our focus with this show is always to provide some really good, concrete information that you can use to help in your own college process. Um, we're not focusing on any specific type of institution. You know, this is not a podcast designed to help you get into your local public any more than it's designed to help you get into an Ivy or a small liberal arts college. We are equal opportunity and we want students to look for their best fit. Um, there is no question that we certainly have lots of listeners with aspirations for some of the more selective schools in this country. And um, there's a topic that we 
talk about from time to time called the distinguishing excellence. Um, and we haven't talked about it in a while, and we thought it would be a good time to come back to it. I'm very excited to welcome my colleagues, um, Amy Alexander, who's a former Yale admissions officer, um, and Zaragoza Guerra, who's a former MIT and Caltech admissions officer, and I myself and a former University of Pennsylvania admissions officer. So we've all worked at institutions that are highly, highly selective. Um, and that's where this distinguishing excellence terminology comes into play. And it's actually a term that Harvard uses around their committee table when they are talking about applicants to the institution, you know, sort of what's their distinguishing excellence. And so the three of us are going to talk to you today about about a distinguishing excellence. And um, I'm gonna kick it off with a really basic question, and that is, what is a distinguishing excellence? And Zaragoza, why don't you kick us off on that question? Yeah, I think a distinguishing excellence is kind of almost star quality within an application. It is um, a student's ability to really go above and beyond um, what an admission officer might normally see within an application and really demonstrate how they've immersed themselves uh, within their interests, within their passions, and have really tried to share that interest and that passion with as many people as possible. Um, I like to think of it as uh, not necessarily a distinguishing excellence, but a student's ability to, to really share uh, their joy, the love of what they're doing um, with as many people within their community as they can. Amy, anything that you would add to that? Yeah, thank you for asking. I was going to say, Zaragoza, this is exactly what I would say, but I would add the students I've worked with over the last 30 years doing this um, tend to be students who get there intrinsically, naturally. You know, when we talk to families, which we do every day, some families and students as young as seventh, eighth graders, and they're asking us about, you know, how to prepare for high schools that we could prepare possibly for a highly selective college admissions. And we'll, we'll talk about the DE or distinguishing excellence. And they think it's something that they can strategize or plan or map out or force parents and their children or the students themselves maybe a little bit, but generally speaking, no. The students I've worked with that actually do have that star quality, it, they don't try. It's just who they are. They tend to be students who are ridiculously motivated, take incredible self-initiative, are disciplined, um, dedicated, and just go after things at a level that your average student does not. Right. And I would add, they're interested in a way that the average student, and quite honestly, the average person, like, let's be real, I didn't have a distinguishing excellence when I was in high school, um, you know, is is not. And I would, I couldn't agree more that it, it is, it, it's really intrinsic. Um, way back in 2010, um, a, a admissions officer at um, MIT actually wrote a blog um, I wanted to give his name. His name is Chris Peterson, but he wrote a blog about applying sideways. And um, it comes up with us 
for us with some regularity because it really gets at exactly what you guys are saying, which is it's a student going out and figuring out how can I pursue this thing that I'm so interested in? How can I use it in different ways to help the people around me or, you know, just engage with the world around me. And students who do that, who focus on doing that because it's interesting to them, not because it's going to look really good on their application. Those are the students who tend to come out at the other end of it with some really compelling interests and things that they've done um, versus simply, well, like you say, I'm going to map this out. I'm going to do this freshman year. I'm going to do this sophomore year. I'm going to do this junior year. And then when I apply, poof, all, all of a sudden, I'm going to have my pick of all of the most selective schools in the country, um, right? It doesn't really work like that. It's, it's almost as if a student doesn't necessarily um, do these things to get into a school. Um, they're going to a school so that they can continue doing the things that they're doing. Yes, that is a brilliant distinction, I think. Yeah. And, you know, Beth, you were saying, well, you didn't have that in high school. And I was, th- you know, it's funny, I forget, but I was thinking back, I, I did have one. Um, I was a competitive swimmer. I still am. I can't seem to let it go. And that shows you, I still compete at a pretty high level in what's called a U.S. master sweating 40 years after graduating from college. Right. But what the dean of admissions, who I went back and worked uh, with him for a number of years after I graduated from Yale, you know, I started at a young age. I took weekends where I could have been doing other things with friends or whatever. And I was swimming and I went to swim meets and I traveled around the country. I went to Israel. I went to Puerto Rico. I'm out of the country. And I did it because I did it not to get into college. I would have done it no matter what. But what the dean told me when I got to the admissions office, when I applied for the job, he said, I remember you. And I'm like, oh, yeah, because, you know, I went to the Maccabea games. I won some medals. I did well. He said, no, because you actually had started a program, NC2A, um, Big Brother, Big Sister program. You took New Haven area youth, you and six other, you know, high level athletes from different sports. And you started a program in the New Haven community and brought these students onto campus, mentored, tutored them, taught them about education, got them interested in in engagement. You also taught underserved uh, New Haven area students, um, young people how to swim. You took it beyond. You didn't just have that, which was wonderful in and of itself, but you went a step further. And that's what I tell when I get a lot of the athletes that come to Bright Horizons. And I love working with them. And I'm like, well, what else can you do? It's great. You're a great athlete. It takes a lot of time. You don't have to add a lot. But what? where can you lean in and do more? Right, right. And I would also add, knowing you, that that other piece was pretty intrinsic for you as well, because you still do things like that in your community with underserved populations. So yeah. um, I think... Look, we have examples then, right, from our own people. I, you know, I had I had things that I would consider were a little softer. Um, I would not consider anything that I did rising to the level of a true distinguishing excellence. So, I won't. I'm not going to share any of my <laughs> high school accomplishments. But um, you know, I, I think when we think about, I think this is as good a time as any to share some examples of things that our students have done. And there goes. I'm curious if you have, you know, any that come to mind for you that that really did sort of happen pretty intrinsically. And I think one, one thing I would love for our listeners to take away from this is that there are many different ways to achieve a distinguishing excellence. And there are many different 
areas that you can achieve it also achieve one in, right? So an athlete is a pretty common distinguishing excellence. You're a recruited athlete. You're recruited to swim for the team or to, you know, throw a ball and you're going to start freshman year. Um, but there are many other types of distinguishing excellence. And so Zaragoza, any, any examples that leap to mind for you? Yeah. You know, one of the, my favorite um, reads, you know, in terms of uh, a student who I helped in terms of their essays and in terms of all the things that they were able to, to divulge within their application. Um, it's a student who uh, was interested in uh, aeronautical engineering and you know, it, everything that she did, she did with gusto and you could tell she had a passion for this. Um, and she had a passion uh, for serving her country as well. So it was kind of this combination of, I want to go into aerospace engineering because I do want to serve my country. I, I want to go into the military. And, you know, she applied uh, ROTC as well as to the service academies and got into some incredible schools um, because of that love. And it was effusive. So it wasn't just simply, hey, I'm interested in going into ROTC. I'm I'm going to join my Civil Air Patrol, and I'm going to teach other students aeronautical engineering within that Civil Air Patrol. Um, you know, I'm going to uh, spend time at you know the service academy and you know get a feel for for what it's like there. I'm going to learn how to fly, and uh, and you know took flying lessons, and I'm going to you know immerse myself within tech. And, you know, she came up with these wonderful ideas, not just within the Science Olympiad that she took on over into the research arena. And she um, got in a, a research mentor at a university and studied, um, you know, the effects of cell phone usage on the brain and did this whole research uh, project on brain tumors. And it, it, it was all encompassing. I, I mean... That's just one aspect. It, everything that she did, she did with gusto. She was very involved in her Indian community, both in dance and in mission work. And that, you know, was trying to, to, to give back to her country was her way of saying thanks for uh, the U.S. for, you know, taking in my parents and, you know, giving us all these uh, incredible opportunities. I want to give back. And you could see that throughout her application. Right, right. You know, one thing that strikes me, you know, I've often spoken to people about this concept of a spark, um, right? So there are tens of thousands of students applying to each of the most selective schools in the country every year, many of whom are highly accomplished in the classroom. They've got phenomenal grades. They've taken incredibly rigorous classes. They have, if they've taken test scores, the test scores are really high. They do some things outside of the classroom, right? They, they're they the kinds of students that other people say, you're going to have all the choices in the world. And then it's always so surprising to them when they don't. Um, and I think the reason for that is because there are so many super qualified students in these applicant pools. And, um, you know, it's it's important to note that all of these students that we are talking about today and the examples that we give, they're all those kinds of students plus, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the key. And so when we talk about, I always say, you know, well, there's a spark and I know it when I see it. 
the spark is what you're talking about, Zaragoza. And and Amy, I'm curious if you have an example that might highlight maybe a different type of spark. Yes, I have a great counter. As I was listening to you speak, Beth, I was thinking about this young woman I worked with a few years ago, and she had what I would consider kind of an unassuming, modest spark. She wasn't like, I'm leading this, I'm putting myself out there. Um, I just I just was in awe of her, and she just didn't even realize how, how good she was. She was interested in pre-med and or business. She wasn't sure, but she had a very analytical mind. And when we were brainstorming for her essay, she said, oh, I don't, I don't know what to write about. Should I write about my interest in, I take all these STEM classes and I've done some things in the summers. And I'm like, well, that's okay. But, you know, and we got to talking and just schmoozing. And she started telling me about sophomore year, how she would take the bus every Sunday to go visit her grandmother in an elderly assisted living home. And her relationship was very important. And she, um, you know, it was just something she did. I and mean, it was just, so she would go, she'd bring some nail polish and she would be painting her grandma's nails. And then a couple of the other elderly people would come and sit by the side and would talk to her. And lo and behold, you know, a few months later, all these people, all these elderly women wanted their nails painted. But more than that, they wanted to have a connection with a young person. Yeah. So she then recruited the dozens. I mean, it's it went slowly. I'm going quickly. But like it was two dozen by the end. She created a small club, a group. And what they learned, they shared. And, and she ended up really building a and an interest in geriatric medicine and possibly going listening to these elderly people and their issues and ailments and how people don't hear them and what they learn, the young people, they'd get back on the bus and talk and talk and talk as if they're talking about their girlfriends. And it became a huge interest of hers, but it was so unassuming. And, you know, if someone couldn't go, she made sure she got a volunteer or someone else to fill in. I mean, this became like a, a club, a business that she took very seriously. And she had, you know, not quite president, vice president, but people who were in charge because the elderly people expected them to come and to have a partner right. and a connection. So she learned, although she's more of a STEM kid, she said her communication skills and her softer skills, empathy grew exponentially. So this, to me, every time I talk to her, she just had just a huge heart. And I can imagine her being a wonderful, I would want her to take care of my aunt or grandmother or grandfather someday, because I would want her to be that person. And I thought she's the type of kid who deserves, who, who would be plucked. Right, absolutely. And what I really love about that example is that didn't require money. Right. This is not um, an example of a student with a lot of opportunity and parental backing. This is someone who got on a bus every weekend and went and did this. So for the price of a bottle of nail polish and bus fare. Right. And and I love that because I do feel like there is also and there can be. And I have a few examples and the students are really lucky and they've had some great opportunities in their life and they've made the most of them. But not everyone has those kinds of opportunities. But that doesn't mean a distinguishing excellence is is out of reach. Um, we're going to take a really quick break and um, then we're going to come back and we're gonna keep talking about this. So to our listeners, don't go away.
enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. In every college application, there's that moment of pause before a student hits send. Is this my best work? With Bright Horizons College Coach, your student will hit submit with confidence. We take the guesswork out of applying to college. Students get help with everything from essays, summer planning and visits, to testing strategy, merit aid, and more. As for our results, 100% of students have earned acceptances, nearly all to one of their top choice goals. Visit getintocollege.com slash experts to learn more. Join us on the Luxury Lifestyle Blueprint Podcast as we delve into the world of living a luxurious lifestyle as a successful entrepreneur. Our discussions will cover essential topics such as the significance of networking in business, relationship building, leadership, spirituality, luxury travel, empowerment, healthy living, and personal development. We will also talk about how you can leverage your attractive lifestyle and heal and reinvent your life by managing other factors such as mental health, stress, time, and much more. The Luxury Lifestyle Blueprint Podcast, hosted by B. Baylor, Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. We're digging into distinguishing excellence, and we're going to hop right back into it. Um, During the break, we actually were having a great conversation that I wish we had recorded for all of you, but we're going to try and recreate it right now. Um, And Amy, you were talking about um, one of your students with a real interest and focus in computer science. That's certainly become more and more uh, popular these days. So tell us a little bit about that student's distinguishing excellence. Yeah, and this student, you know, a bright kid, you're stereotypical, good grades, good scores, right? But he didn't care so much about that. Like he just was really interested in computer science and this new AI stuff and what's going on and just followed it. And he noticed his, this was the tail end of the pandemic and his younger sister and their friends, like a few years younger, were really getting quite lazy and bored and kind of down And so he encouraged them to come over and sit with him and learn some basic coding skills. And he saw that they got really excited. And these are kids who aren't necessarily interested in computer science. So he started doing that with them. And then some of the parents of the friends of of his sister said, oh, you know, we're overwhelmed. We're working from home. We're doing all of this. You know, do you think you could take them for an hour or two? We, you know, we might give you a little money. You know, maybe you could charge. He actually created a coding camp, and after school, and then it became weekend. It slowly became a summer program. He recruited friends. It became over a hundred plus kids signed up, and tons of volunteer uh, student recruiters. I mean, mentors. Um, and it taught him, I mean, A, he got to spread his love of coding and computer science, get younger kids and especially young women interested at a very young age, get them to feel confident and ask questions. And he, in the end, he ended up going to Stanford. 
he thought he was going to go into computer science, but he said, you know what? I might want to be a teacher or a professor because he didn't realize he had those skills, which he learned through doing that for a couple of years. He was a really neat young man and it was never be, you know, any, will this help me? How do I put this on my resume? I had to encourage him to kind of, you know, he just was like doing it because he loved it and what he saw. Right, right. And and actually, that brings up a really great point about, you know, it's all well and good for students to be out there doing these really interesting things. Um, but when you were talking about, Amy, your young woman who was thinking about writing about the summer STEM programs that she did, and you were like, well, there's also this really cool thing you did with the, uh, you know, your grandmother and all of that. And it's sometimes you know, helping students to think about how do I, how do I bring this into my application in, in an impactful way? And Zaragoza, you had a great example of a student who actually did not write about um, a particular, um, you know, the DE necessarily, but wrote about something else. So tell us about that student, which I, I love this story. Yeah, he, he, this was a, a quiet student who, uh, you know, I got to know over several years. And um, usually whenever we talk, it would always be about, you know, his computer science project. And, you know, and he, don't get me wrong, he's done, he did incredible things with respect to that and had leadership all across the board um, with respect to computer science. But what really made me connect with him was when he would write about his local Chinese community. And, you know, one of the things that he uh, wrote about within his essay was just uh, simply the fact that uh, he, uh, you know, was not considered a really great dancer and he was performing in this uh, uh, band dance uh, for his community. And the director said, oh, maybe you should handle lighting or tech. <laughs> and, and, you know, rather than get discouraged by that, he went into his room, you know, put on the music softly so his parents wouldn't hear, and he practiced that band dance. And, uh, you know, the joy that he exuded at the end of his essay when he saw his parents and the pride they had for him, um, at the end of this essay, it just, you know, gave one goosebumps. And, you know, I, I, I like to sometimes tell students it's not always necessarily uh, about impressing your reader. Sometimes it's about making your reader like you. Mm -hmm. um, that's going to be important because you can always impress them in the other parts of your application, but you also need to get them to like you, to advocate for you, to say, hey, I want this particular student in. Uh, you know, they're just as impressive as everyone else, but I like them. <laughs> right. But there's and something about him. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. I remember a student writing. Uh, his essay was funny. And that just really engaged me. And again, we're getting a little away from the distinguishing excellence piece here. This student happened to be a super talented journalist. So it didn't surprise that his essay itself was really well done. But it did make him stand out in an applicant pool where we had about 25 students from his school alone applying. And I was sort of like, this kid, you know, there were students who had technically maybe a higher ranking, although very similar grades and test scores. So he really was not a lesser than applicant. But when you wonder why the kid who's number 10 and not the kid who's number one in the class gets in, it's these these are some of the examples. Um, on, on the flip side of that, I worked with a student a few years ago 
already a while ago now, truthfully, um, who was really into environmental issues and um, did a lot of things related to the environment and was actually the youngest LEED certified um, person in the country, LEED being um, a measure of environmental, uh, boy, I should probably have looked up the exact definition of this, but basically you're all really in on the environment, the best environmental things to do when you're building. Um, and he had written an essay about um, being on the water in a sailboat. And it was nicely written, um, but it wasn't, there was nothing about the essay that sort of spoke to me about him as a person. And in that situation, I felt like he was really missing an opportunity to help the reader understand why he was so passionate about the environment. And yes, being on the water, you could make that connection, but it really wasn't kind of doing that. So as you think about um, the things you've accomplished as you are applying sideways, um, you know, you want to think about is this, where where can I bring this into my application? Is it going to be in a supplemental response? Is it going to be my main essay? Is it going to be something else? Um, uh, cause that's an important component of the DE is you have to be able to get it into your application so that it resonates with your, uh, reader. Um, and then Amy, you also had an example, um, that you were going to share of a, of a computer science student. Yeah. Well, it's a chemistry a different one. student. Yeah. Chemistry. chemistry yes. Yeah, sorry. And it follows nicely, uh, Beth be, of applying sideways. And I do want to share with our listeners that the majority of people out there are not, students are not going to have a DE. Adults don't have a DE, right? right. And the word, I don't use the word passion uh, so easily because most of us don't have a passion. Uh, we have interest. And I had a student who was new at a young age. He was interested in chemistry and a very good chemistry student. And he did, when I got him, we talked about him writing his essay about chemistry. And I was like, all right, it's good. But it just, it was, it just wasn't that, it was, wasn't that different. It wasn't, didn't stand out in any way. I could tell his interest and his love for chemistry. But this was also during the pandemic. And his grandparents moved in, his aunt moved in, he had two younger siblings. He saw his mother and father working full time. His mother was cooking three meals a day, seven days a week. She looked exhausted. He walked in one day and said, how can I help? That then became a huge passion, not just interest, passion. He became a cook with his mother. He took a burden off of her, but he saw how his family members loved his food. He started, he bought the book, Salt, Acid, Fat, Heat. He read everything about it. He started doing chemical experiments with food and taste, um, kind of like that new book, Lessons in Chemistry, that came yes. out by Bonnie, Bonnie Garmus recently, but that I love. And it reminded me of him a lot. But he really leaned into this interest, and he wants to be a chemist, but he said, I think I will always cook. I will always do that. Now, is that a stereotypical DE? No, not like compared to the ones we've been talking about, but it is applying sideways. And in the end, he wrote his essay, about that experience of helping his mom and learning to love cooking and building his confidence, but learning about the chemistry of cooking. And his essay brought me to tears. And he ended up applying to and getting into Georgia Tech. And I believe that that essay, he had the grades and the scores, but that essay differentiated him and showed the personality, showed the compassion to his family, leaning into something completely different, but a little bit related. 
um, perfect example. Yeah. And, and again, I think a really great place to, to dig in a little bit, which is that, you know, as you said, as I said, and there goes, I'm sure, as you have said earlier in this, in this segment as well, is just that most, you know, if you try, it's very difficult to map out a distinguishing excellence. If it was that easy, everyone would do it. It's not that easy. Um, and you can have things that you're really interested in and you can follow those interests and they're not necessarily going to result in you being the top debater in the country. I have a student that was his distinguishing excellence, and he coupled it with something else where he developed a tutoring program that he sold to a handful of um, school districts, right? That's impressive stuff. But debating on its own or, um, you know, getting involved in tutoring and just finding something that you really enjoy doing and then being able to maybe express that in an essay, for example, just about how, but it's got to be authentic, and if you can do that, it's going to automatically make you a, just a little bit more interesting in whatever applicant pool you are in. So in as much as I can, um, and I'm going to ask each of you to share your kind of final thoughts on this, but in mine would be just to, rather than always thinking, what do I need to do? What do colleges like to see? Rather than saying that, say, what do I want to learn more about? What do I enjoy doing? And can I do more of that? Now, if the answer is I love playing video games, unless you're going to be an eSport champion, that's probably not, you know, <laughs> something you should pursue. But I do think, um, you know, within reason, of course, is, is asking what do I want to do rather than what do the colleges want to see me do? Because the colleges have no idea what they want to see you do. They want to see what you want to do, right? So do that. Zaragoza, what, what about you? Final thoughts as it comes to this kind of thing? Yeah, I, 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 I wholeheartedly agree. I think it's, it's not about doing things to get into a particular school. It, it really is about finding a school that's going to allow you to do the things that you want to do. Yes. Okay. And take it to the next level. And I think that's uh, what's most important when I do have a student who's so focused in on, on the schools and, and doing things on I'm usually thinking, hmm, I'm not so sure you're going to get in. But it's those students who can really articulate, this is what I love doing, and I'd love to be able to do it at your institution. I, I kind of think sometimes some, some universities are not necessarily looking for freshmen. They're looking for alums. Yeah, great point. Amy, final thoughts from you? Yeah. So uh, I'll admit here, I like those singing television show competitions. I love American Idol and The Voice and all of that. And I was watching The Voice recently, and they asked one of the coaches um, to give, um, you know, to mentor and give some thoughts uh, before they had to go out for one of the semifinals. And it was a quiet singer. It's not one of those belters, right, or rockers. And the coach said, don't try to outsing the other people. Be yourself. Just go up there and be your genuine, true self. And I don't think you have to think about, like you said, I say this to every client. It's not about what the colleges want. Just be you. Keep being you. And if that means you're driven and you drive people crazy because you're pushing them and you don't say no, and you keep, keep being you. Now, with respect and all of that, but just keep being you and that's you're going to end up in the right place. You're going to match with the right place. I love it. 
Um, thank you guys so much for joining me today to talk about this. The sun is coming out. It's, you know, I, <laughs> I feel like we, we got to all the points that we wanted to make and I really appreciate it. Um, next week, Shannon is going to be here and she's going to be talking about new year's resolutions and student loan repayment. Mm, sounds fun. <laughs> but important. Um, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you would leave us a review on Apple, Apple Podcasts, we would love that. Um, if you have questions for us, you can send them um, to us at gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. You can also leave them on our Instagram or on Facebook or on YouTube. Um, and we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. So check us out. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation. New episodes drop every Thursday. The goal of this show is to demystify the college admissions process for families around the globe. To help with this mission, please leave a review and share with your friends. And to learn more about Bright Horizons College Coach, visit GetIntoCollege.com.